This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Flat Out Farno, you're Laddie H, host of Flat Out Pride on your Free FM dial. If you're a Waikato local with an idea for your own show, Free FM would love to hear from you. Check out our website, freefm.org.nz, or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. And you are listening to Offspring, a podcast all about the anxieties of a parenting journey. This is episode 9, Pascal's Wager. Just a content note, this episode's going to deal with the end of the world. I'm going to start today's episode by asking you to think about two seemingly unrelated topics that might initially feel like they have absolutely nothing to do with parenting. But if I do an okay job, I'll be able to thread them together to express a profound fear that I had before having Ava and why I sometimes still feel this fear to this very day. We're going to be dealing with some heavy stuff here. It's existential and it's going to cover life and death. The first thing I want you to think about is a beautiful old thought experiment. It's very famous. It's called Pascal's Wager. It was coined by a 17th century mathematician and philosopher and all-round mad genius named Blaise Pascal. Many of you might know it already, but the basic gist is straightforward for those of you who don't. Pascal's Wager is about demonstrating why believing in God is a rational and logical decision. Pascal was trying to express it in terms of the precise vision of Christianity that existed in 17th century Europe, but still for our purposes, none of that matters. In the wager, you essentially have two options. You can either believe in God or not. Both those states of belief have two possible consequences when you die. So there are four possible consequences altogether after death. I hope that's clear. I'm already worried that I've made this very confusing, but it is it's simple. There's, there's four options after death that you can possibly face. First off, if you don't believe in God and there is no God, then you're in the clear. If you don't believe in God and there is a God, though, you'll have to deal with hell, I guess, and all the eternal horrors that come with that. Now, conversely, if you do believe in God and there is no God, then it makes no difference either way. It's the same result as if you don't believe. However, if you believe in God and God exists, you win the jackpot. You'll go to heaven. 
What Pascal's wager posits is that there is no downside to believing in God. You either don't get rewarded or you do get rewarded. But there is no way that you get punished. The only scenario where punishment is a possible consequence is if you don't believe in God. So I know this sounds like I've gone way off track talking about 17th century mathematicians' philosophical views on the existence of life after death. That's, yeah, I, I appreciate that, but please bear with me. Because the thing that interests me most about Pascal's wager isn't really the question of punishment or, or reward at all. I mean, that, that has potential to be fascinating, but that's not what interests me most. What's always stuck out to me more is how people are forced into Pascal's wager against their will or at the very least without being consulted first is another way to think about it ultimately you can only choose to believe in god if someone introduces you to the concept of god and a belief structure suppose you're just living your life and the idea of a loving and vengeful god has never existed in your thoughts in that case you literally cannot choose whether or not to believe logically God shouldn't be able to punish you or reward you. So you'll definitely miss out on being rewarded when you die, which might be sad. But you'll also definitely not be punished. The moment someone does introduce you to the concept, though, you've got skin in the game. You can't unmake that knowledge. That knowledge cannot unexist. You can try to metaphorically kill it, pretend that it's not there but that action is a decision in itself you are in the wager whether or not you want to be and now you've made your bet and this happens to nearly every person because almost all societies have some sort of theistic philosophy and to me it's kind of unfair that the fate of your eternal existence essentially comes down to whether or not someone introduces you to the concept of god it's a bit unjust that you can do nothing to avoid placing a bet from that moment on. I don't know about you, but I would have rather never known about this possibility. Not knowing would mean that I'm not part of the wager at all. And while I'd have no chance of being rewarded in death, it, it would also mean that I have no chance of being punished. And honestly, that sounds pretty nice to me. But that knowledge is there now. As I say, it can't unexist. And I'm in the wager, regardless of how I feel. The second thing I want you to think about is the news, and not all the news, but mainly this. Well, global warming is unfolding more quickly than feared, and humanity is almost entirely to blame. The UN's climate change body has released a new report into the stark reality of what's in store for the planet as climate change progresses and the temperatures warm. Irreversible damage to the Antarctic ice sheets. The effects of climate change in the Pacific have happened a lot sooner and are a lot worse than had been predicted. The dominant story of, all, of our time. Every inhabited region on Earth is likely to experience frequent extreme weather events. And which in turn is threatening food supplies, fueling more extreme cyclones and floods. Billions of lives are at immediate risk. Two degrees is what most scientists describe as the threshold of a catastrophe. Once in a century, coastal floods happening once a but year. It been experienced on the Earth for... Years. Coral reef systems and coastal fisheries are set for extinction. A threat to people who live in low-lying areas. 200 million climate refugees by just 2050. A cost of trillions to the global economy. Code red for humanity. The effects of climate change are here. 
A few months ago, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its sixth assessment report regarding the state of our planet under climate change. As you just heard, the results were bleak. The IPCC is the arm of the United Nations that does nothing but study climate change and release reports around it. That's their thing. It's solely what they exist to do. It's their wheelhouse. The assessment reports are a big deal because they're not released that often. The last one was released in 2014, and the first was in 1990. So there have only been six in 31 years. With each subsequent report, findings have become more disheartening and horrifying. This one was the worst, though. The Washington Post summarized the report into a handful of key findings. First, it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. What's interesting about this is it's the first time that the language has been this firm. By the very nature of the scientific process, there's always a little bit of wiggle room, as you can't usually speak in definites. But the panel was so overwhelmingly confident that for the first time, they've actually removed from their language any possibility, however remote, of climate change being caused by natural phenomena. Secondly, the last decade was more likely than not warmer than any multi-centennial period after the last interglacial, and that was roughly 125,000 years ago. That's just a lot of words to say it was hotter in the past 10 years than at any time in the preceding 125,000. Thirdly, even if we hit the lowest emissions scenario estimates, there will be at least one degree Celsius of warming compared to 1850 to 1900 levels, and that'll persist for centuries. There's actually no going back. Fourth, human-induced climate change is already affecting many weather and climate extremes in every region across the globe. Five, and this this is a real mouthful, um, with further global warming, every region is projected to increasingly experience concurrent and multiple changes in climactic impact drivers. So basically, you're not just going to have one bad thing happen at a time, you're going to have several. And six, global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius and 2 degrees Celsius will be exceeded during the 21st century unless deep reductions in carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions occur in the coming decades. And that all sounds kind of boring. Um, that's still, that still sounds kind of formal, but that's just the nature of academia, I suppose. That's all about as dramatic as a panel like this can make their writings. To put it another way, what those findings mean is that even under the most utopian, best-case dream scenarios, like impossible scenarios, where we could flip a switch tomorrow and everything just changes, we will still have increased temperatures, and some of which will take centuries to reverse. And I think we need a second to try and comprehend that. Our impact on the planet has been so profound that even if we solve the problem now, which we can't, the Earth would still need centuries to undo what we've done so far, just in the span of time since the Industrial Revolution started. 
But we don't actually need to engage with utopian scenarios to see how grim things are for our kids and grandkids. The entire foundation of the Paris Accords revolves around preventing warming from going beyond certain thresholds, such as 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees Celsius. But those temperatures aren't where we get saved. 2 degrees Celsius is the rise that scientists and policymakers have identified as a, quote, red line if the planet is to avoid catastrophic and irreversible consequences. And to make things worse, experts have repeatedly pointed out that the acceleration and outcomes seen if the temperature rises from 1.5 degrees Celsius to 2 degrees Celsius is extraordinary. It's, it's almost like an exponential increase. So far, global temperatures have climbed to 1.2 degrees Celsius above those pre-industrial levels. So we're only like 0.3 of a degree away from being in real trouble regardless. Because once we hit one and a half, it's like a downhill slide to two degrees. We don't have the same amount of time that it would have been between one and 1.5 degrees. If we keep going the way we are, it doesn't really bear thinking about. At our current trajectory, not only are we going to surpass the 1.5 degree and 2 degree levels, we'll pass 4 degrees. So if 2 degrees is the red line for the planet, then we, I mean, at least I can't begin to truly comprehend the speed and scale of destruction we'd see at something like 4 degrees Celsius. We planned on having Ava. It took preparation and medical advice and interventions. It was a very conscious decision. And now that she exists, we couldn't live without her. And she seems pretty happy with the whole existence deal of her laughter and generally gorgeous personality is anything to go by. But I am mindful that there's probably going to come a day in the future where she's going to realize that she didn't get a say in her existence and she was brought to life without ever being introduced to the concept of life first in an ideal scenario this realization will come from a place of unparalleled joy she'll be so grateful for something that she will go down a gratitude rabbit hole hopefully she'll realize that if she didn't exist she would have missed out on all the amazing experiences we will have hopefully had by that point. I like to think that she'll be overwhelmed by existence and all the wonderful, rewarding things that go into every second of everyday life. And I hope she'll be happy that all those trillions of chemical reactions happened and led to her existence. But I worry that she might be more like me and it won't come from a place of happiness. Instead, I'm concerned it'll come from a place of despair or dread or fear. Perhaps when she has to make an indescribably difficult decision about something or maybe when she suffers loss in a way that she's never felt before where the pain becomes all-encompassing and creates an unrealistic but still very powerful tunnel vision. I fear that it will be in these moments that she will realize that if just one of the tiny chemical reactions that were required to bring her to life didn't happen, she wouldn't be alive and she wouldn't be suffering whatever pain it is that's making her so upset. 
I dread that she'll realize that if she hadn't been born, she wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of existence. She'd be none the wiser about all that beauty in life. But on the flip side, she wouldn't know that she was missing anything. And she wouldn't have to deal with the flip side of all that beauty, which is the ugliness and pain that existence brings. Ultimately, once you create a life, that can't be undone. We all die, but dying isn't the same as never existing. Dying brings a lot of other existential questions and all the baggage that comes with those. For a start, Pascal's wager. The truth is, though, if we were never born, we would miss out on all the good things in life, but we wouldn't know any better. And then we would miss out on all the bad stuff too. Ultimately, as bleak as this sounds, never being born would be easy. In fact, it wouldn't even be easy. It would be nothing. It would be literally nothing. I'm nervous talking about this because when I've broached these questions with people in the past, they've looked at me like I was crazy or that I was talking about wanting to die and they've implied or downright stated that there is something wrong with me for questioning whether or not it's fair to put existence on to others because life is a gift and I'm not saying that it's not in all honesty years ago if you came up to me and offered me a chance to opt out of the life wager like to have not existed I might have taken it and that wasn't me wanting to commit suicide I was Thankfully, never at that darker place. But if someone could have guaranteed that I was never born, so no one ever knew me and it made no difference to anyone else, I, I probably would have accepted. Today, I'm certain that I wouldn't turn down the opportunity existence. I'm willing to take that bet with hindsight and experience. But we don't get that opportunity, and that's what I get stuck on. Particularly when we move from the philosophical out into the real world. Because frankly, there isn't a lot to be hopeful for right now. I mentioned that I worried her realization about existence might come from a sad place. and I deliberately left out a pretty great example of what might trigger this realization though. Because I struggle to think about it without feeling guilt, fear, anxiety, loss, dread, and about a thousand other negative emotions. As we live our lives right now, we are facing a cataclysmic event that is a global population we're not really doing a heck of a lot about outside of making tweaks to our consumer habits, I suppose. This isn't meant to be a soapbox. This isn't a climate change podcast. And I'm not an environmentalist. I miss plastic bags. I drive a car. I love air conditioning more than most things. But climate change is the elephant in the room dying from lack of food and water that we don't want to acknowledge because it's scary and it's graphic. It's affecting us now. And as we go on, it will just infringe upon us more and more and more and more. I would love to just try and plead ignorance, but if I look at myself honestly, I can't. I'm 36 and I've known about climate change since 1996 because that was the year 
I first saw the movie Waterworld. And Waterworld, if you haven't seen it, is an absolutely ludicrous film. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, that movie is where I first learned about the concept of melting ice caps. And that means this idea was so well known, it was considered prime material for a blockbuster film that in 1995, when it was made, was the most expensive production in cinematic history. We see the damage every day in small ways, but also in significant ways. According to the World Wildlife Fund, temperatures have increased in New Zealand by nearly a degree, 0.9 to be specific, since 1900. And this has led to South Island glaciers retreating, while at the same time New Zealand ports have measured an average 16 centimetres of sea level rise over that same period of 100 years. We all probably have personal memories and anecdotes than we can recall from our lives as well where we've seen the impact or can compare changes as a simple personal example i remember being in the usa with my family in 1999 when hurricane floyd hit and that was considered one of the largest hurricanes in u.s history floyd was 930 kilometers in diameter just an absolute beast hurricane sandy meanwhile That decimated the East Coast in 2012, 13 years later. And Sandy was so destructive because of her size. She was 1,800 kilometers in diameter. And we're going to see so much damage throughout our lives because of climate change, because it's real and it's happening. And realistically, do any of you feel any slight sense of hope that it can be turned around? I'm absolutely terrified. Not for myself. I've had a good life. But I'm terrified of what Ava is going to experience. I'm frightened that one day she will ask me why if we knew the world was burning. We thought it would be a good idea to bring her into it without her being able to choose. And I won't have a good reason to give her other than we wanted her in our lives before we even knew her. And when we had her she made us realize that we were incomplete before she arrived i can't go back in time and i I can't board the magic school bus and go visit her and give her the option of accepting life i can't sit and explain to her that if she wants to join us she'll be entering a world experiencing a rapid environmental decline that a lot of people were just kind of ignoring I can't inform her that change is probably a delusion because we also live in a world with unfettered capitalism which is an ideology that by design clashes against the very concept of long term sustainability it's just antithetical to the very notion of continual growth that capitalism is built upon we are in most conceivable scenarios and a lot of trouble her life is in the hands of the world i guess and even if there is a change she's still gonna be a witness to ever increasing levels of global trauma and devastation i'm so grateful to have her in our lives and i wouldn't want it any other way i really hope that we turn the ship around and that we get to give her a full life full of love gratitude and wonderful experiences that she deserves but with my vulnerability cap on right now 
I can't tell you if I think it was fair or not for us to bring her into existence. I hope she doesn't hate us when she's older, if the worst case scenarios are the ones that become our reality. Just like the sea, I don't know where to go, through dirt and shadow I grow, I'm reaching light through the struggle. Just like the sea, I'm chasing the wonder, I unravel myself, all in slow motion. Suffocate me So my tears can be rain I will water the ground where I stand So the flowers can grow back again Cause just like the sea Everything wants to land We are burning our fingers But we learn and forget
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.